the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, he is indeed. Good afternoon to you. Helps if you turn on the microphone, Roberts. Good <laughs> good day. Welcome. Good to have you on board. It is a Tuesday, 22nd day of June, if you're not keeping track. And Craig Roberts with you wet yet once again for another edition of Lifeline. I was just trying to Google something here before we came on the air. Um, you'll know whether or not you are, but I'm just curious. Percentage of Californians that have been vaccinated. And I don't know if this is going to give me specifically the California number. Oh, yeah, it sure does. 48% of California's population has been fully vaccinated as of June 20th. That's just two days ago. That's good news. I bring this up because a very dear friend of mine has now come down with COVID. And, of course... Um, Kind of from the viewpoint of, well, I don't need that, don't trust it, not going to do it until the FDA says it's okay. How do we know they're not putting metal chips in the... <laughs> By the way, if you've seen that video, there is a woman that was giving testimony that purports to be a doctor, though I think she's part of some of this uh, um, so-called holistic medicine that's basically... Uh, um, uh, junk science, anyway, uh, arguing that if you receive the COVID-19 vaccination, that you suddenly will have your body magnetized <laughs> and metal objects will stick to you. She is then followed by a woman who comes up to the podium and begins to attach a key to her forehead and ask of the assembled group on the dais, how is this happening? How is this possible? And if you've seen the video, it's been widely circulated. Let me say right now, uh, it happens and it's possible because it's an old parlor trick. In fact, to a largely astonished group over dinner on um, Father's Day, I performed the exact same trick. I will guarantee you there's not a part of my body that is magnetized. <laughs> it's, it's called a, a little bit of, uh, shall we say, clamminess and uh, surface tension. By the way, a key, they're largely today made of brass. Brass does not attract to magnets. And so if you've seen people going on YouTube where they've shown up on your Facebook feed purporting that there are everything from tracking chips in the in the vaccine to the area where the vaccine is done suddenly becomes magnetized. Um, these are people that are engaging in parlor tricks. They're taking advantage of people that do not have a very good command of, um, how shall we say, um, critical thinking or reason or understanding of even basic 
elementary or junior high school grade science. So don't buy into the nonsense. If you don't get the vaccination for yourself, get it for your family, get it for the people that you care about. But go and get vaccinated. I guarantee you, you will not, after having been vaccinated, start setting off metal detectors at the airport. Okay, got that out of my system. Let's get down to cases. A very important topic to discuss today. And it kind of, I think, um, will, will serve as a means of helping us perhaps better understand what's going on in our culture and our society today. My goodness, over the last six months, the number of mass shootings that have taken place in this country defined by more than two people killed by somebody with a gun or more. And it is demonstrative, I think, of a, of a very alarming trend. Now, let me begin by saying kids of previous generations, I'm talking about our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, they grew up to be resilient. They had to. They came of age at a time of war, economic depression, severe drought, think of the Dust Bowl, and turmoil. They were raised during tough times, and they grew up to be tough. But if you look at kids today, look at millennials and Gen Xers, uh, generally all the product of softer times, easier times, grew up to be less resilient, more pampered, if you will, more demanding. And as the so-called me generation begat the next generation all about me, there's a large percentage of children today that just can't face challenges with gusto. They can't manage their emotions. They seem constantly to be dissatisfied, unable to get along with others. And if they don't get their way, well, you might as easily be on the receiving end of an expletive-filled tirade as on the business end of a gun. What's happening with the way we're raising kids today? And while we could argue that we need to do something to decrease the number of bullies that are out there, and I would probably concur with that notion, I think also the idea of raising kids that will be resilient and be able to resist the tough times, the tough people, because those you will have with us until Jesus returns, that that might be a better approach and frankly, an approach that might very well end up saving your child's life. Joining me now with some insights, longtime friend. He is a best-selling author, a national educator. He has taught more than 2 million students across the nation. He is a pastor, a mentor, a husband, father of two boys. And we're pleased to have join us today, Brooks Gibbs. Brooks, brother, how are you? Craig, man, always an honor. I just love you so much. Thank you for your long obedience in the same direction. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, stick to itiveness, I think, is what that's called. <laughs> How long Either has it been that, just, now that you have been it, teaching? Or, it, it it has been much to the chagrin of many of my listeners. Uh, we're we're in our thirty second year. Uh, we'll we'll cross the thirty three year mark come uh, November of this year. Mm. Mm. Incredible. So, well, well, good, I know that good, you good are thing they the good thing they didn't elect me president. The country would be in big trouble for all that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, brother, lots to talk about, so I want to get right down to cases. And, and by way of background, and I think that this will help us toward making the ultimate uh, point of our discussion today. Uh, Brooks and I first met right on the cusp 
of the Columbine shooting. You'll recall that back in the 90s as one of the, um, shall we say, the, 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 the I was going to say high water mark, maybe that's not the right uh, term, the, the, one of the low points in the history of mass shootings in America today. And it's an interesting study because if you look at what sort of was unleashed there and then all of the following subsequent uh, mass shootings in America, uh, demonstrative, I think, of, well, you know, some might argue uh, access to, uh, to, to weapons easily. But, but the, the deeper, broader, more important lesson perhaps is the, ra- the way children are being raised and what is it that either forces them to lash out in anger to the point of being that violent as Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were. Um, and, and it's an important study, I think, because it'll tell us a lot about ourselves, about our parenting skills, about the way we're raising kids today. Would you, would you concur with my observation, Brooks? And you were really close up. I mean, you were literally there as all of the tragedy of Columbine was unfolding that um, while, yes, certainly um, Harris and Klebold were kind of responding to uh, the years of bullying that they were on the receiving end of, but that there's also a broader issue that here were two kids that just simply never learned to get along, never learned to to be able to differentiate um, between the truth and the lies that maybe were spoken to them about themselves and as a result, did not have that sense of resiliency to bullying and in the end lashed out and took a lot of lives with them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You're spot on. Um, in my program, Raise Them Strong, uh, parents can check it out at RaiseThemStrong.com. I break down the history of aggression and victimization and essentially emotional weakness in America's history, and we see a huge uptick and um, uh, all kinds of problems at the 99 kind of millennial turn. And that's when I met you. I mean, I was uh, uh, just fresh out of high school, um, going into university and college, and and I was traveling with my friends who were victims of the Columbine shooting. And we were, uh, I'm from Littleton, so, you know, it happened in our backyard. And and I just remember thinking, wow, this is what's going on. And and really, two movements were birthed on April 20th, 1999. It was uh, the legal movement to try to crack down on mean behavior, which ultimately uh, created an entire generation of victims. And then there was another movement, which was is known as the social, neuro, uh, sorry, social and emotional learning movement, which takes more of an education approach to give kids the social and emotional regulation skills that they need to endure difficulties. And I always say if you have a um, psychologist and a lawyer in a boxing ring, who's going to win? Uh, the lawyer. If you have a 100 psychologists and one lawyer in the boxing ring, who's going to win? Uh, the lawyer, because even science has to submit to law. And when you start making laws that it is, it, it is wrong, legal, illegal to be mean and hurt someone's feelings, which the anti-bullying legislation created in all 50 states of the United States post-Columbine, you now have uh, given children a sense of entitlement that the government is responsible to providing you with a bully-free, which really means jerk-free, environment. And if you have any trouble, you are powerless to solve your problem. So give it to us, and we'll do it for you. And that only increased hostilities and weakened a generation. 
and maybe there there's companion issues of sort of a dual track taking place here that at one level we're raising multiple generations of children that lack that sense of resiliency as we touched on a moment ago along with generations that are being taught that the way that you resolve conflict is through violence and violence has been reduced down to a form of entertainment and as opposed to a day and an age when we taught kids hey don't behave this way don't act this way don't don't uh, don't respond don't return you know evil for evil Instead, we're teaching kids, hey, if you have a dispute, pick up a gun. And so yeah. we, it, it, it's really this dual track of encouraging violence and acting out on one hand, and meanwhile discouraging children from being able to stand up for their own, be resilient, turn the other cheek in a Christ-like fashion, and we can define that more in a moment. Uh, in, and, and this really has become the byproduct. And clearly, the approach of the government, let's just make being mean illegal. <laughs> That's not working very well, is it? Mm. No, and the first-person shooting games are a guilty pleasure for the angst of a generation that feels entitled to a life without social problems. And so... Uh, they're fantasizing, and you know, everything happens twice, first in the imagination, then in reality. And the two shooters of uh, Columbine uh, experienced that, and many, many copycats afterwards as well. And so, yes, we are a more violent culture, and the turn the other cheek and love your enemy and the golden rule, these ancient <laughs> messages that uh, really raised generations beforehand are not allowed to be uh, promoted and taught. And so that's what I've spent the last 20 years. You know that. I've, I've presented over 2,500 speeches, uh, 2 million students face-to-face. My online videos have had now 300 million views. Uh, you know, I'm trying to bring the golden rule back and, and, and teach the psychological wisdom behind dealing with difficult people Jesus' way. And it's not a matter of trying to avoid problems in life or problems in childhood. It's a matter of learning the kinds of skills necessary to negotiate through those problems and those challenges and to be able to come out on the other side and to be a survivor. And as I suggested in my opening remarks, um, our our parents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they grew up surrounded by diversity, and so they learned how to bucket up. They learned how to deal with it. And now I'm not suggesting that your child behave in a fashion where it seems as if welcome is stenciled across their back to be used as a doormat. I'm not saying that at all. But what we are suggesting is that there are skills and tools that you can provide your child for them to be able to develop those coping skills and be able to negotiate their way through difficult social circumstances and come out a winner not a loser, come out with somebody who still has their sense of self-dignity intact as opposed to lashing out in anger because they feel as if they have had that stripped away from them and so that the only response is a violent one and it becomes, you know, one bad turn for another. Brooks Gibbs is with us today. He's founder of Raise Them Strong, information available on the web at raisethemstrong.com. He has taken more than 20 years of work in dealing with kids, speaking to kids across the nation, getting an understanding of where their hearts are, their heads are, most importantly, how we can bring them back to some of these fundamental principles that many of us in the older generation were raised with but have been lost on the current generation to return to that so that hopefully 
we can not only turn the corner in this nation when it comes to addressing the violence, but ultimately, ultimately raise happier, more content, more satisfied children. And it doesn't all have to be about me. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our dialogue here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. <clears throat> and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 530 here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. You know, if you look at it, part of the point that our guest tonight, Brooks Gibbs from Raise Them Well, I'm sorry, RaiseThemStrong.com is making is that we have essentially taught kids to yell run and report as opposed to the learn to stand and deal with conflict and the sad thing is if you teach him those quite frankly ineffective skills at a young age this is something that's going to haunt them forever because even if the school principal the teacher mommy and daddy are here to defend them today what happens when they become an adult and they run into conflict if they don't know how to work it out, if they don't know how to deal with conflict resolution and get along with fellow adults, then they largely, as we're seeing in recent times, wind up becoming mass murderers. Brooks, let's talk about this. And I think that's an important point that this is not just a matter. Some parents think they're doing the right thing because it's a matter of uh, helping their child deal with issues today. But the long-term effects uh, of this inappropriate approach to dealing with bullying and conflict is really becoming disastrous, isn't it? It is. I think we all have one thing in common. We want our kids to be happy. And when they're not happy and they're miserable, I think parents suffer just as much as the kids because we think about it and we try to resolve it. And it's interesting, parents think the solution to help their kids snap out of depression or aggression at on campus is to, uh, to moralize with the bully or to demand that the school solves the problem or to, you know, punish the mean sibling that constantly, you know, antagonizes the weak child. And, and they're trying to, what they're trying to do is they're trying to change the world around their child instead of empowering their child to endure and thrive in a difficult world and that's what resilience is resilience is building up the um, the emotional strength the mental toughness and the way that you do that is simply by teaching the child how not to be offended see most kids think because they're upset because they have the feeling of anger that it must be wrong that what that person did was wrong but you know eleanor roosevelt you know would always teach many times like no one can make me feel inferior without my permission see, it's not what you do that triggers an emotion, but rather what I think about what you do that triggers the emotion. So why does the parent that focuses on the belief system of the child and moves them from a irrational, demanding thinking process to a more flexible, uh, less rigid thinking process, and that's all resilience education is, it's making a child more flexible in their thinking. And as you point out, <clears throat> this gets to the crux of a matter that if at the time and in the moment 
there's a parent around, there's a supervisor, there's somebody at the school that can help and to try to work out the piece and, and, and be there to intervene, so to speak, on behalf of the child. Well, that might be all well and good, but the reality is life just doesn't function that way. And if you think you've met bullies on the playground, just wait till you become a young adult and, and move into the business world uh, or, or later on in life. You're going to have conflict at every turn. But if you don't educate a child on how to manage that conflict and also how to see themselves as God sees them as opposed to being beaten down by the ridiculous comments of some bully, uh, don't we end up not only raising kids that have no ability to be resilient in um, difficult times whatsoever, but also wind up having a very negative self-image, a very negative viewpoint of who they are? I, I do think so. I think when they are living for the approval of other people, or they're demanding that they themselves are perfect, or they have low frustration tolerance when someone blocks their goals and therefore they have a retaliatory desire to destroy that person that hurts them, or they feel entitled that life must turn out the way that they want it and must be comfortable. There's actually six key triggers that kids and all human beings for that matter must be cured of, according to Dr. Albert Ellis from Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, the late great psychologist, he discovered some incredible truths that it's our rigid demands that we have on ourselves or others or life that actually create the disturbance. And so RaiseThemStrong.com is a very simple program that gives parents exercises to do with their children that are thinking exercises that relate to not only... Uh, Ad, you know, adversaries or punks or bullies that are in their life, but for adversities. Maybe mom and dad are not getting along, or maybe uh, finances are really tough right now and the stress is on the home, or, or difficulty with homework and the stress is with that. Whether it's adversity or adversaries, a child can learn, it's called emotional intelligence, how to, how to be more flexible in their thinking, and they won't be triggered or upset, and ultimately they'll have a happier life and not needlessly suffer. So, so these are really skills, Brooks, that go beyond simply being able to deal with the, the uh, using my air quotes here, the so-called playground bully. We're talking about largely life coping skills that will take you through not only times of conflict with other individuals, but I think the broader sense of loss disappointment. I mean, life is filled with it. If you live long enough, you're going to repeat those kinds of emotions multiple times over as, you know, loved ones are taken through death or you lose the, I don't know, the, 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 the promotion at work to a competitor or the girl that you've fallen in love with doesn't feel the same or the marriage fails, whatever it might be. Life is filled with those kinds of losses and disappointment. So we're really talking about teaching kids the broader skills of just how to deal with the stuff in life that none of us like, but all of us have to deal with. Yes, it's, it's sort of killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. Like, I started this whole career trying to solve the bully problem, and I realized, well, a bully needs a victim, and if I teach a child how not to be victimized or affected by the mean, you know, antagonism, then there can be no dynamics of bullying, and I was right. I was right. Sociologically, I was 100% right, and then I realized, wait a second, that same principle can transfer to kind of a, a, a global event or, or you know, a, a personal event in someone's life or, or a harsh reality. And, that, and you know, I have two doctorates now, one in psychology, one in 
sociology, which makes me a social psychologist. And one thing that I learned through all my education is that mental health is teaching people how to adjust to harsh realities. And mental illness is the inability to adjust to a harsh reality. And so we're giving children this flexible mindset in RaisingStrong.com. We're giving them an ability to ask very simple questions, and you do it all the time, I'm sure. You, 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 you ask yourselves, well, this could be worse. Um, well, this really won't matter in my long-term future. And, well, you know what? This could actually be a good thing. Look at the bright side. And through that simple processing, rethinking an unwanted event or person, you can talk yourself off the ledge of irrational demands and save yourself from needlessly suffering. So as we look around us, and I began our conversation tonight, Brooks, using Columbine as kind of a, a reference point on the calendar. But it, it, as we look around us and we see significant uptick in drug abuse in our culture today, violence as we touched on a moment ago, even a pretty significant rise in mental illness, homelessness, do, do, in your opinion, a lot of these factors, certainly not all, but do a lot of these factors tend to go back to issues related to childhood? Not necessarily because, you know, dad wasn't always there, mom wasn't always tender enough, whatever, but, but because simply a lot of these kids have never been taught some of these basic life coping skills, and as a result, later on in life, as they grow into young adulthood, they can't cope, they can't deal with it, so they either turn to means by which they anesthetize the pain through drugs and alcohol or lash out in anger because things didn't go their way. Do you, do you, see, do you see a correlation or a connection between these trends and the issue of not giving our kids the kind of coping skills that you're suggesting? Yes, I, I do. I think that we as parents are clueless, really, about the very specific areas that children are struggling. But it is, it's one thing we all have in common. And, and for example, in Raise Them Strong, I teach uh, the fundamental two demands that we make from the very earliest years of elementary school. I must perform perfectly well, and I must receive approval from important people. Okay, well, there's, there's the enemy to your child's happiness right there. And, and he or she has already adopted this perfectionistic mindset that in order to get approval from mom or dad or from cool kid on campus, I must be perfectly perfect in my, per, in my performance. And they, they have this new perfectionism issue. Well, you know, it is the same old tactic that Satan used against Jesus, the first temptation. If you are the Son of God, there's approval. I don't approve of you, Jesus. If you are the Son of God, then prove it perform, change this rock into bread. And, and say, that's the cool thing about being educated in theology and psychology. You start to see the devil's plan, and, what, and he mm. doesn't have any new tricks. And so Raise Them Strong teaches parents where their children are being attacked psychologically and socially, and it's all built on solid theology. And when we know the enemy's tactics... We can breathe life into the child and help them understand the reason why you're so miserable right now is because you have an unreasonable or irrational demand about your performance, and you're desperately wanting the approval of this person. But the moment you realize that you're not perfect, you'll never be perfect, 
there is no such thing as perfection, and you should be happy with who you are and how you are, and I accept you unconditionally because I love you, but more importantly, God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. God says he's well-pleased with you, despite your need. There's no need to perform. When you wash your child in the water of the Word and set them free with truth, they're not going to be subject to the bullying and the despair that comes through sad adversities in life. So then we're, we're kind of adding a layer here. It's not just a matter that kids are being taught right now in, 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 in the broader society, or broader culture, rather, uh, to, to lash out if they don't get their way. Uh, certainly, as you're suggesting, there is a sense of, like the old song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places or looking for affirmation from all the wrong sources. And I wonder if this, if this challenge in raising them strong is exacerbated because, Brooks, let's face it, a lot of the parents are product of a generation that they themselves struggle with many of these issues. I mean, when, when, when a woman walks behind the counter at a fast food restaurant and starts hitting the, the employees because they don't have enough French fries available in that moment... And they basically pick a, a, a brutal fight over something like that. And we're talking not about a, a, a 12-year-old kid. We're talking about an adult here. It seems to me that maybe this problem is exacerbated by the fact that there's a generation of parents who don't cope very well either. Would you agree? I would agree. And we have a message kind of from the left end of the spectrum politically that to be woke, right, to, be, to identify as a victim. And the whole concept of intersectionalism, where the more victim cards that you have, that you're a minority and you have a disability and you're an oppressed people group and that you're suffering in some way, all of a sudden you have moral authority and your voice matters more. So we're actually, in, in this culture, certainly in the public school system that I work with and work in, the, the message of victimization is actually uh, uh, glorified which is crazy to me because the worst acts of violence are committed by those who identify as victims, and they feel justified in their retaliation because they identify as victims. And you look, you know, as a psychologist, I'm, I'm thinking, dude, like, all, there's not a single branch of psychology that would ever promote the, the, the modern ideology of the woke movement. It's just not. In fact, the holy grail of all therapy is to help you adjust to the harsh reality that something bad happened at some point or you have a challenge and to consider yourself advantageous despite it, to actually see the upside to every letdown and be proud of who you've become despite all that you've gone through. And so it's very exceedingly frustrating to me as someone who's trying to help people. I turn on the news or I listen to what kids are saying these days and I hear the woke agenda and I'm thinking, we're about to enter even a worse mental health crisis because we have what I would call group pathology. And that's why every counselor's totally maxed out in hours. We are the number one ex, you know, uh, uh, prescriber of, of, uh, of antidepressants and other uh, psych drugs. In fact, in the United States, including Canada and North America, we prescribe more drugs than the entire global population put together. We beat everybody because of our wow. ridiculous ideology. And so it's, it's frightening. That's why when you want to raise them strong, you need to give them the tr biblically based, psychologically sound, and culturally relevant truth that will help them endure the message of the left. 
you know, it, it's understandable at a level that a person who has been wronged is looking for a sense of acknowledgement of that. Although, ironically, it goes back to your original point, and that is that it's sort of like looking for affirmation from the wrong sources. Because oftentimes, the person who victimizes somebody else, they, they if they recognize it, they don't care. In some cases, they do recognize it, and, 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 and it doesn't matter to them because they're just about bringing harm and pain to others. But that said, the the innately human, quite frankly, flesh side of us that either wants to settle the score, extract revenge, um, and, and, and revels in living in that place of being wronged and therefore the victim, and therefore as a victim having the right to extract revenge, well, it, it, it ends up further complicating all of this, and suddenly, as you point out, we raise a generation that not only can't cope, but is constantly stuck in that victimhood mentality and sort of reliving the details over and over and over again and insisting that somehow life bring about a sense of parity or fairness. And, of course, <laughs> the fundamental misunderstanding there is life is not fair. And it probably will never be fair this side of heaven. And so do we raise kids that understand that, deal with it, and are able to to progress and succeed in spite of those challenges? Or do we raise a generation of kids that get stuck there because once they adopt and embrace victimhood, there really is no place to move from there, is it? I mean, if, if, you're, if you're reveling in being a victim, I suppose any sense of moving beyond that to, to victory as opposed to victimhood is almost an impossibility, is it not? Right, and that's a, it's a self-inflicted wound. You know, um, uh, Dr. Albert Ellis, uh, who I mentioned before, he says, you know, the future of psychology and psychotherapy should be in the school system to teach children how to avoid disturbance or undisturb them once disturbance occurs. So once they feel disturbed, offended, you know, hurt, emotionally speaking, the most important thing is to help a person no longer be hurt. And we're talking about subjective harm, not objective harm, not broken bones, bruises, or anything like that, not uh, sexual harassment or any other criminal activity. We're talking about offenses that hurt the feelings. Well, that's called subjective harm because it's subject to my thinking. So a, ch a child can actually learn how not to be wounded at all by uh, name-calling, social exclusion, or even identifying as a tr true victim group. They can learn how to recognize the value of all their people have endured without taking the secondhand trauma by reliving their ancestors' woes over and over and over again religiously. So, you know, forgiveness is, you know, a huge part of it. And, uh, and also just saying, you know what, I choose to uh, see the value that life has for me rather than identifying as a victim of life. And um, I don't want to raise a victim. I want to raise a victor, someone who overcomes adversity. Well, and it dawns on me, and we can take this up after the break, it dawns on me, Brooks, that part of the issue here, too, in kind of reveling in this permanent state of, of victimhood um, and and having so much angst and anger building up, that brood of bitterness and anger that we're watering and fertilizing and allowing to take deep root, also can become a significant barrier toward one's relationship with God later on in life. Because if you have moved into the position where you're just not going to forgive somebody else for how they've wronged you, 
it's going to be difficult for you to imagine God ever voluntarily forgiving you for the ways in which you have sinned against him or wronged him. And perhaps, therefore, becomes a barrier not only to life, but a barrier in relationships, both on the horizontal plane and, to my point, on the vertical plane. With us today is best-selling author, celebrated speaker Brooks Gibbs. He is the founder of Raise Them Strong. More information about the resources, we'll talk more about that too in a moment. Uh, simply go to raisethemstrong.com. That's raisethemstrong.com. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As we continue our dialogue today with best-selling author Brooks Gibbs, I, I'm I'm curious, Brooks, kind of thinking this thing through as I suggested before the break. Um, if we live in a place mentally, emotionally, where we're demanding we extract revenge, our pound of flesh, certainly that notion, if we've been wronged and we want to get revenge, that appeals to our fleshy side. But imagine if God took the same approach with us and said, you know, I love you. I created you, but you've offended me, and no matter what, I am going to extract revenge. I mean, if we live in a place like that, no wonder it's hard for us to wrap around the, our heads around the idea of a loving God that would send his own son to die on our behalf, to pay the price for us, because he wants to walk in fellowship, in relationship with us, and yet we take the approach with relationships on the horizontal plane as if we just want to get our pound of flesh. And this is exactly what Jesus talked about throughout his ministry. He says, don't you realize how much you've been forgiven? So suppose a man has been forgiven, you know, a billion dollars, and then uh, he's so grateful that he doesn't have to pay that back, but it's, it's as if it never happened, and it's, uh, he's been released from the responsibility to make it right. But what if he then goes and, and harasses someone for owing him $10? You know, isn't that, like, insane? Well... What's going to happen is that he's going to be thrown into prison and he's going to suffer with bitterness and hatred in his own heart and be in a prison in his own mind for the rest of his life, if not for eternity. So a mark of a believer is that he or she freely forgives because they are aware of how much they have been forgiven. That is actually an identification mark of someone who is genuinely saved and understand what they were in debt spiritually speaking, impoverished, and how that has been, they've inherited riches through Christ's life. So it, I think the Church is more relevant today with this whole victim, unforgiven culture and narrative that's being spoken. We are more relevant to help people experience a complete psychological breakthrough to be free from the bitterness that they have been discipled uh, in, to be free from that and experience the newness of life and to have, receive, and give love, love from Jesus. We have uh, a lot to unpack here in our conversation tonight, so I want to have you spend a moment, if you would, when we talk about equipping our children with these kinds of skills, fundamental understanding when it comes to relationships, not just on the horizontal, but certainly the vertical plane, as we've alluded to raising our kids to be resilient and to really, quite frankly, have a balanced perspective on conflict that comes in life and how to negotiate our way and work our way through all of it 
Walk us through, if you would, some of the resources that are available to parents who struggle with all of this. They, they, they want to raise a resilient kid. They want to raise a child that, that can grow up to be a healthy, strong, mature, emotionally, spiritually, and, uh, and, and mental adult, and yet not sure how to. Maybe themselves, they are struggling with many of these issues. What are some of the, the resources available to parents through Raise Them Strong? Well, I thank you for giving me this uh, brief opportunity. When when parents, uh, it's nineteen dollars a month. That's very affordable. When you become a member of the parent community called Raise Them Strong, you're going to be equipped to counter the message your child is being told every single day from his or her friends. And certainly, if they go to a public school, they're being inundated. They're being discipled uh, ineffectively on how to identify as a victim and how to identify as a second-hand victim, in other words, through all in the name of empathy, take on the grievances of others. Well, that's crazy. That's actually a, a path to mental illness. So they're going to get every single week a new video from me, which teaches the child directly about emotional resilience as it relates to name-calling or social exclusion or someone uh, you know, talking bad about them behind their back, rumors and gossip, and every single type of... Uh, way that a child could be wounded, even through physical pushing and shoving and physical provocation. I'm going to teach them how to be resilient through each one of those. And I'm also going to give discussion guides for the parents to make sure that the child has transferred the content. And then I give activities and exercises like I challenge you to keep a smile on your face while your brother chooses something extremely noisy in your ear for 30 seconds. And if you keep a smile and you don't get frustrated, then you get a special prize. So I give all kinds of activities to literally build up the emotional resilience of a child, raise their frustration tolerance. It's a wonderful program. And on top of that, I give tons of content for parents, how to take a resilient parenting approach, which really challenges their current way. If they have a child who's very emotionally weak, it's likely because they've discipled them that way and they didn't mean to, but that's what's happened through their good intentions. And I correct that through RaiseThemStrong.com. Are there tools available at the website as well to help parents sort of uh, evaluate their child? Uh, Because let's face it, unless you run into scenarios where the kid is dealing with bullies on the playground or acting out, and and those are obviously ways in which parents can tell it's very very outward, it's very, you know, uh, uh, discernible. But maybe they've got a quiet child who tends to internalize things. Are there tools available to help you understand just exactly where your child is at on the continuum? Yes, and even kids who are on, let's say, the spectrum, who are not very great at communicating their feelings. I have something called the Resilience Test, and it's a 10-item questionnaire that you give your child in the very first session of the Raising Strong program, and you're able to see with scalpel accuracy exactly where they're strong and where they're most vulnerable or weak, and that's the focus that you're going to put on the program. You're going to really focus on that type of content um, in the area of their uh, emotional weakness. So, yes, yeah, thank you for asking that. The resilience test is probably one of the most valuable uh, pieces for a parent to know each child's different. So, what area do I need to work on? Parents, we want our kids to not only survive through life, but to thrive. We want to raise children that are emotionally, mentally, spiritually strong and resilient. We want to raise children 
that have the kind of coping skills necessary to carry them through whatever life may throw them. And if you're a slightly older American like myself, you know that that can be be a very long list. This particular organization, Raise Them Strong, and the resources that will be available to you on a monthly basis can really give you the kind of tools you need to not only address many of these shortcomings in your child, but quite frankly, you might benefit yourself personally. More information available again on the web at RaiseThemStrong.com. You can check out more information about Brooks' background. He is, a, as I mentioned, a not only a brilliant public speaker, he is a celebrated author, a number of best-selling books, uh, including his latest, Love is Greater Than Hate, and we urge you to get more information to learn how to equip your child to succeed both in childhood and throughout life. RaiseThemStrong.com. That's RaiseThemStrong.com. Brooks, always an honor to have you with us. Give my love and regards to your uh, charming wife, Jill, and uh, hope to talk to you again real soon. I will right now. Thanks, Craig. All right, brother. Take care now. There's Brooks Gibbs, RaiseThemStrong.com. More deal tales and information again at RaiseThemStrong.com. Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco, Midway Point here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Much more straight ahead, but to get us there, let's get you a look at traffic. Traffic.